done this with him, like Amanda alcoholic. <laughs> Don't let it scare you. Oh, that's not true. She said. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, <laughs> all right, Amanda alcoholic. Okay. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So what it was like. Um, I was not born into an alcoholic family. I was born, um, sorry, let me start with my sobriety date is November 5th, 2019. I have a home group. It's the Wednesday Women's on Friday night. It's online if anyone wants to come. See me after the meeting. I'll give you the Zoom info if you're a woman. And <laughs> let's see. I have a sponsor. I've worked the steps in order with that sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. Um, yeah, my life is... Uh, good because of that but so I was born into a family um, uh, probably typical family when I first got sober I thought that they were the devils but um, <laughs> lots of anxiety and depression uh, in my family of origin my grandfather actually I found out a couple of decades ago maybe that he had moonshine stills in Pallet Mountain, North Carolina. So there definitely was alcoholism up, up above my parents. Um, but yeah, grew up in a middle-class home. My parents both worked and I have a little sister. And um, yeah, I remember my parents didn't drink a ton, but they would have like some church gatherings at our house. And I remember I was like six years old in the kitchen and whatever those shot glass pour thingies that go both ways, I remember thinking it was Coke and I drank bourbon for the first time when I was like six and it went all over the place. But um, that's the first time I ever remember drinking alcohol. Um, but fast forward to 15, um, we didn't really talk about emotions or feelings or anything in my family of origin. Um, so I had zero tools. Uh, to deal with life as it as it came at me and at 15 I had my first heartbreak and uh, a friend of mine had we were in driver's ed and she offered me sex on the beach and it's a drink <laughs> and um, so we drank that blue stuff and that blue stuff made the heartache go away because um, you know you feel real big things when you're 15 and um, Anyway, we drank a lot of that, and our driver's ed teacher, a friend of mine's dad, came to get us, and I could barely walk a straight line out to the car. And they got us in the car, and his dad was like, are you okay? And I was like, yep. <laughs> and then proceeded to have to stop at a gas station and throw up. And um, I was pretty, I'm pretty sure I was blacked out at 15 that time, because I don't remember all of it. I do remember one of my friends had to carry me upstairs to my room because um, I couldn't walk up the stairs. But after that, I was like, oh, oh, this is good. Like, this is going to solve all my problems. I don't have to worry about heartbreak anymore or anything else. Like, I'm just going to drink. And I proceeded to get lit at band practice, marching band practice. Um, Took frozen lemonade with vodka in it to school, drank it at lunch because it would thaw out by lunchtime. Um, but yeah, I was pretty much blackout drinker from 15 until, I don't know, four years ago. Um, <laughs> I am not 16. And um, yeah, so in high school, I didn't have a ton of access 
to alcohol, but we did hang out with older kids and we'd go, you know, light fires in fields and drink beer and stuff like that. And then um, all my friends were doing it, so it wasn't, you know, that big of a deal. And then I went off to college and it was my first time. My parents were pretty strict, so college was my first time with, like, no one was watching and I could, like, go wherever I wanted and... This was back in the day when you could actually change your driver's license. Like, you could rip the tape off. Y'all can't do that now. And we would scratch out the number and change it so it looked like we were 21. And, uh, yeah, college, it really took off. Like, everyone drank like I did. I actually was probably more innocent than most of my friends because drugs were everywhere. And, anyway, that's another. That wasn't my story it made me really paranoid but anyway um yeah I could drink exactly like I like to we we would drink during the day because there'd be a football game or a basketball game or a soccer game or a baseball game I didn't really care what the game was I was just like there's a game that means there's gonna be a keg so um yeah continued along that path and then I graduated I got my bachelor's degree doing all that which is insane um but I went graduated got my first job and I decided not to drink um because I had a, a job like I had to stop drinking and be like a responsible adult and so um moved to Johnson City Tennessee took a job with Kraft Foods and I was working in grocery stores trying to place Kraft products which there's like 400 craft products onto store shelves and talking in the back rooms with grocery store managers, which was sketchy. <laughs> I was from a very small town. Like this was just something I hadn't experienced, but I had stopped drinking and my coping skills for everything. I was like alone, didn't know anybody. My coping skills at that time were horrible. So um, I stopped eating, I stopped sleeping I started having kind of psychological breakdowns, seeing this cockroach that would reappear in my apartment with three legs. I'm not kidding. So anyway, <laughs> that only lasted about four months, and I called my parents and was like, can you please get me out of here? So I came back home and um, went and saw a therapist, and they put me on medication, and the therapist was like, yeah, you probably need to stop drinking. I was like, right, yep. I'll, I'll do that right away, and that did not happen. So, um, started drinking up again and got back around a lot of my old friends from college, got a job, and I was off to the races. Um, and then I had money to buy alcohol because I was working full-time, and all I did was drink and work and drink and work. And um, ended up, let's see what happened. I ended up marrying someone that I met in college um, who is the father of my two daughters that are 14 and 11, but um, he liked to drink more than I did, and so we had a lot of fun with that. Um, got married, and then I started having babies, and um, golly, sorry, memories, y'all. Um, So I didn't drink for like my pregnancy because that was bad. And I tried not to drink when I was nursing them, but um, there were many nights when they were probably went to sleep a little buzzed. Um, 
sometimes when they do stuff, I'm like, is that why? Um, but yeah, as soon as as soon as they were off the off the milk, um, I would start drinking again heavily. Um, blackout. Usually, I threw up all the time, like all the time. Like any sane person would not continue making themselves that sick. Um, and my marriage started to decline actually about six months after we got married. Um, it was a pretty, there was a lot of domestic violence and threats on my life and threats on my kids. Um, had a second kid and it just got worse and worse and worse. And um, so in 2014, I decided to leave the marriage and take the kids and that's not how it works in Wake County. Um, they let the dad have 50-50 custody, and so, um, yeah, I just continued drinking, but then the kids would be with their dad half the time, and it would be so lonely and so quiet because I had been with them constantly since they were born, and um, so I would just drink more because that was my friend, and that's what I could do, and um, yeah, so... I did that for a while, and then um, in 2019, I uh, stopped drinking again, similar to, a, to how I did during college, and had no coping tools, and I was suicidal, and really scared, and losing track of time, and buying dogs and it didn't make any sense. I walked up to Wake Med Carrie and I said, I don't want to live anymore. And they were like, come on in. <laughs> and I was like, damn it. They're not going to let me leave. And they did not let me leave. So um, stayed there for a little while. They made sure I was physically okay. Took me to Holly Hill Hospital. I stayed there for you know, whatever amount of time. I don't even know. Um, I had this pretty cool experience, though, at Holly Hill, which most people can't say, but um, I went in the first night they had an AA meeting, and I had been, I have been taken to AA meetings throughout my life. I thought one night I was being asked on a date, <laughs> but we ended up in a church basement. <laughs> And he asked me to go get a white chip. And I was like, take me home. <laughs> so, yeah. So I knew about the AA. I knew what AA was. But this night in particular, it was this young woman. She, God, she was like 21. And um, she was sharing her story. And I was like, there is no way. And I was like, she's going to have to stop drinking. She's like in her 20s. That's terrible. This is the worst news ever. This poor child. So I got her number. And um, I never called her, but um, there was, at the end, there was this prayer that one of the staff members said, and it was like you could feel, I didn't really have a connection with God or a higher power or anything before that, but I could feel our power in that room with us that night. And I knew I was in the right place and I didn't like it, but I knew like the option, the alternative was me not being on this earth anymore. So I was like, we're just going to do this. So, um, 
they recommended that I go to a 28-day treatment facility, so I went to Fellowship Hall in Greensboro, and I hated every second of it. And um, But I did learn a lot about the disease of alcoholism, and it helped me lose a lot of the shame around it. Like, I don't know, I always imagined alcoholics as like under bridges with brown paper bags, you know, because it's probably what my parents still think they are. But anyway, um, yeah, like I learned about the disease and the cravings and, you know, like we they did this wonderful thing where they took us to meetings in Greensboro every single night. And um, I would always walk in and it would be these like 85-year-old men sharing their stories. And I was like, I ain't got nothing in common with this this dude. And then I'd sit down and it would be my story. And I was like, how is this possible? Um, but that just kept happening over and over and over again. And um, I found where I belonged, you know, like eventually over like it was 28 days. So like in the middle of it, I was just like, I don't want to go home. Like, how am I going to go home and live in the world I came from when like this isn't happening there, which it is happening here. But um yeah, so, but when, back to when I was in Holly Hill, I called my lawyer, and I had lost custody of my children because I left them. I didn't physically leave them. They were with their dad when I went, but I couldn't take care of them because I was locked in a hospital. And so, um, you can't hit your knees in, in Holly Hill, I guess. I, I guess I could have, but the phone wouldn't have reached. But um, that was, that's... That's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And so I, I finished up at Fellowship Hall and uh, I came home. And, you know, I, I kept thinking, like, none of this has ever happened to me. Like, I never lost a house. I never lost a job. I didn't lose my kids. I still thought that, even though I did. Um, but I got out and I realized I needed to sell my house because I had lost my job in June, and this was December, and I was gonna lose the house, and I had lost the kids. So all of it happened to me. Every single thing happened to me. Um, luckily, I had parents who helped catch me when I fell, but um, yeah. So within a week, I got my 50-50 custody of my kids back. So that was a blessing. But I was also like, what, you know, like trying to figure out how to be sober in this world and raise kids was not easy. Um, and they were really pissed. I mean, they were 10 and seven at the time, but my 10 year old gave me the what for, how could you leave me? Um, so that was really hard too. But, um, so I sold my house, moved in with my parents because I was going to look for another house. And then this thing called a pandemic happened. And so we stayed there for about a year. And um, all that time, I was sponsoring myself. <laughs> do not do that. I was a terrible sponsor. I mean, hopefully I'll be good once if anyone needs a sponsor. But um, where was I? Yeah, I sponsored myself, and I was that kind of sponsee who would be like, I'm on step four, are you free this weekend? I can read you step five. And they would be like, what in the heck is wrong with this child? And uh, so that didn't go great. But after about 
18 months, I asked this woman to be my sponsor because she scared me, and she said no. And I asked her three more times, and she said no every single time. <laughs> She's so mean. And um, But she said, let me introduce you to my friend, and that's who my sponsor is today. Um, he's probably seen me here with her a couple times. But um, we started working the steps in order, and... It took me another year and a half to work the steps. Um, I think because I'm pretty hard-headed, but I uh, just had to do them slow. Like, I had to understand them on this deep level. I had to get it because if I didn't get it, I wasn't going to stay here. Um, I was going to try and do it my way. And I still try and have uh, my will, not God's will, a lot of times. But, um, yeah, we worked the steps in order. And this is how my higher power works in my life. I uh, was right before I finished my 12th step in December. Um, my kids went through a really rough time last year um, with their mental health stuff. And uh, I got full custody of them in December right as I was finishing the 12th step. Um, and that's how my higher power works because I had to get my stuff in order in order to be able to be the mom they needed me to be full-time and that hasn't been easy either good god um but yeah working the steps in order with my sponsor has been a game changer and like right now i'm going through this this stuff at work where i want to quit every single day but like that's not god's will that's not what adults get to do and i get to say the third step prayer and the serenity prayer and talk to my sponsor and come to meetings and talk to folks like y'all and holy crap I said that really fast um <laughs> sorry um any questions no I'm kidding <laughs> I don't think I've left, yeah, left anything out step one and two well, at Fellowship Hall with step one, Fellowship Hall has this cool, like, path around um, in the woods where you can walk, and they have statues at each of the steps and a little bench, and you can sit down and read the step and pray about it and stuff. And the first one is a tornado. And, uh, yeah, that one, that one was pretty easy to relate to because when I look back on, you know, my role in most people's lives and my family and friends it was just a tornado it was selfish and self-centered and very rarely did i consider what other people needed or wanted um and then that part of hold on where is that lives had become unmanageable that took me like three months because i was like my life's not unmanageable um but you know thinking about the way that I drank to blackout and the way that I drank and threw up, um, that's unmanageable. Me trying to sponsor myself is unmanageable. Me trying to uh, run my life with the fingers of control clawing at everything before I'll finally let go of it is unmanageable. And that part of me still tries to take things back all the time and I have to fight against it. But, um, yeah, learning about higher power was, was, was pretty, 
I grew up in a church where um, a lot of folks probably grew up in the same church as I did, where like God was a punishing God, and I don't know about y'all's experience, but it felt a lot like me and my sister were on display, and there was a lot of leering, uncomfortable touches, uncomfortable comments. Um, so the notion of God for me was the opposite of what I wanted anything to do with. Um, and I still probably struggle with that a little bit. Um, I just don't trust those faces. Um, but learning that my higher power gets to be whatever I want it to be, like for me, it's um, it's got nature, you know? like. When I'm frazzled and upset and scared, fearful, whatever, I just walk outside and focus on listening to the birds and watching the leaves blow in the wind. And um, there's been a lot of times in my life where, like, I listened to my intuition because I would, you know, right before I left my ex husband, which took a f lot of courage to do, by the way. Um, he's a big dude. But, um, when I made that decision, I had just gone on a run in our garage and I went and sat on the back porch and I was sitting there and I had this like really calm, serene moment and it was mid-July and hot as crap. Y'all know North Carolina. And uh, all of a sudden this like, I decided like I've got to leave no matter what the outcome, no matter what it takes to get out of here, I've got to get the girls and get out. And the wind starts blowing and these leaves start blowing and it was like a cold wind in the middle of July in North Carolina summer and I was just like what the hell <laughs> um, I wasn't even sober then but like I get to look back on stuff now and be like that was my higher power even when I was sick as sick could be my higher power was there like please God <laughs> you know like holding me as close as possible and today, that looks like me coming home from work mad as hell, wanting to quit and going and sitting down in my bedroom and looking at the leaves and being like, don't let me quit. Please take this from me. Please take this from me. Um, yeah, so I get to live this life of sobriety today and I get the honor of being asked to speak at a meeting with like a hundred thousand people <laughs> um, by my good friend Stephanie who thank you for inviting me to come and speak but I'm gonna make this end early so thank you for having me